<clears throat> Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke <clears throat> chapter number 14. I'd like you to look down at verse number 15, Luke chapter number 14, and verse number 15. The Bible says this, and when one of them that sat at meat, the word meat there in our King James Bible is referring to food or a meal. We've learned that in, in Leviticus recently. And when one of them that sat at meat, meaning they were having a meal with him, heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And uh, this man is just saying, you know, blessed is the man that one day will be able to fellowship in the kingdom of God, to have a meal uh, with God. And, and I'm not preaching about end times today, but we know the Bible tells us about a coming marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will partake and fellowship with God in heaven. And in verse 16, the Bible says this, Then said he unto him, this makes Jesus kind of, Think about that idea of the supper of the Lamb up in heaven. And it kind of initiates Jesus to begin to give a parable. He says, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. In this passage, we find the parable, a very famous parable of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a parable of this great supper. And uh, for the last several weeks, we've been going through a series called Accelerate Your Growth. And we've been talking about different things that we can do to grow as Christians. This morning is the last sermon in this series. Next week we will be uh, talking about the resurrection uh, because it's Easter. And then after that we'll begin a brand new series. But I want to talk to you this morning about this idea of growth through soul winning or growth through evangelism. You cannot be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ without uh, being actively in the ministry of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if you're following Christ, you will be fishing for men. If you're not fishing for men, you can't say you're following Christ. It's just, uh, that, that's the bottom line. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just telling you, that's what Jesus said. He said, if you follow me, I will make you. He didn't say, I will encourage you to. He didn't say, I will try to make. He said, I will make you fishers of men. And in this passage, we can learn uh, several things about this idea of evangelism or soul winning. And I want to just, as quickly as we can, give you a few thoughts. For those of you that, take, that like to take notes, I'd encourage you to just write a couple of things down uh, this morning. And, and I'll try not to be very long, but I want to give you some thoughts in regards to soul winning, evangelism, and our duty as Christians. Point number one, or the first thing I'd like you to notice from this, par uh, from this parable, is we see God's desire. We see God's desire in this parable. Look at verse 16. Then said he unto him, and of course this is Jesus beginning to give the parable. He said, a certain man. Now, in the parables, you'll find a parable is a story, not a literal story, but just a story that Jesus kind of makes up. It's a, it's a fictional story, but it's meant to teach a scriptural truth. And you'll often find characters in these parables who represent uh, or picture different, you know, actual uh, people in, in, in real life. And here, the Bible says, a certain man made a great supper. If you don't mind writing in your Bible... Uh, I would probably just draw a little arrow next to where it says certain man. And I would write these words, pictures God or pictures God the Father. This certain man is a picture of God. And it says he made a, a great supper. 
and bade many. The word bade is an older word, meaning he called many. He invited many people to the supper. And this supper is a picture of heaven. In fact, if you'd like to write next to the words, great supper, if I were you, I would write a little, draw a little arrow and maybe write the word heaven. Or if you'd like to write marriage supper of the Lamb from the book of Revelation. And here we see God preparing for this great supper. But I want you to notice that he bade many. And we see the desire of God. And here's what I want you to understand. The desire of God is to fill heaven. God is creating a place called heaven. And he'd like to see it filled. He's creating this place where he'd like to call or invite many. Look at verse 17. And sent his servant at supper. And we'll talk about these verses here in a second, but I want you to just get to look at the context. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excuse. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excuse. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that Servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Notice verse 22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. Notice, and yet there is room. Notice that this place that is being prepared, it's enough for everyone. And, and when there were some who said, I, I can't make it, they, they had an excuse, there was still room for more. Notice verse 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Notice what he says. And we see the desire and the heart of God that my house may be filled. And the house here, often these verses are referred to in a soul winning context to bringing people into church. But the context of this parable is not to bring people into the church. The house here is heaven. It's the great supper of the Lamb. And the desire of God is that heaven would be filled. That's why He bade many. That's why there is room yet still. That's why He says at the end of verse 23, that my house may be filled. And I want you to understand that God's desire is that heaven would be filled with, would be populated with people who have believed on His Son. You're there in Luke 14. Keep your place there. That's our text for this morning. But go with me to the book of John. John chapter number 14. If you're in Luke, you got Matthew, Mark. Mark, Luke, John, John chapter number 14, and I'd like you to notice, well, let's look at verse number 1, John chapter number 14, and look at verse number 1, you're in Luke 14, go to John chapter 14, and verse 1, notice what the Bible says, John chapter 14 and verse 1 says this, let not your heart be troubled, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, he said, ye believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house, notice what he says, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Notice what he says. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I want you to understand, God is preparing a place. And it's big enough. If you study the, 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 the uh, measurements that were given uh, for New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's big enough to have everyone who's ever lived on earth be able to be in heaven. Now we know that not everyone who has ever lived will be in heaven, but it's big enough to, to, to fit everybody in. You say, why, why would God make it so massive? Here's why. Because He desires that His house would be filled. He desires that heaven would be filled. God's desire is that as many people as possible go to heaven. And here's what I want you to understand. 
You know, today there are those who will promote a doctrine called Calvinism. And Calvinism basically teaches that God chooses who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Uh, goes to hell. And Calvinism, you know, has their main uh, five points. You know, they, they've got them uh, in an acronym called TULIP. And one of their main points is this idea of limited atonement. It's a false doctrine where the atonement of Christ, the, the, the blood of Christ and the atonement that the blood of Christ is not for everyone. It's for a limited few. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that is a doctrine straight out of hell. God, the Bible tells us, wants everyone. God desires that everyone would go to heaven. The Bible tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's desire, it is God's will, that everyone be saved. And I want you to understand, in this parable we see the desire of God. What is that desire? That heaven would be filled. So we see God's desire. We see the Lord Jesus Christ saying that he will go to prepare a place. We see the Lord Jesus telling us that he's desiring. That's why the Bible says that whosoever will may come. That's why the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why? Because he desires that everyone would be saved. But I want you to notice something in this parable. Not only do we see God's desire to see heaven filled, but we also see man's disposition. Look at verse 17. Luke chapter 14 and verse 17. You say, what do you mean by disposition? Man has a tendency. We have a lean... We, we, we have a tendency to lean towards... And you say, what do we lean towards? We always lean against the things of God. Just naturally. We have a tendency to not desire the things of God. We see that in this passage. Look at Luke 14. Luke chapter 14 and verse number 17. Luke 14 and verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. And sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden. Notice what he says. Come, for all things are now ready. Notice verse 18. And they. Who's they? If you want to draw a little arrow and, uh, to the word they and write this, this word. The natural man. Or the unsaved man. And they all with one consent. Notice, notice the disposition of man. Notice the tendency of man. Notice what they lean towards. God is inviting them. God has bidden them to a great summer. But they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. And notice the excuses are silly. I have bought a piece of ground and must needs go and see it. I, I want to ask this guy, who buys property and doesn't look at it first? I mean, he says, I bought a piece of ground and I need to go see it. You'd think you would have looked at it before you, you know, signed on the dotted line. He says, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it, and pray thee, have me excused. Look at verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them again. You know, the idea, you know, who, who, would, who of us would go out and purchase a vehicle to not test drive it first? And, and, the, and this guy's saying, well, I bought some oxen. I've got to go prove them. I pay thee. I, I pray thee. Have me excused. Look at verse 19. And another said, I have bought. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. And again, you know, if you know young married couples, they're always willing to be, you know, for a free meal anywhere. They'll take a free meal anywhere they can take it, right? You don't believe me? You know, we got a couple uh, newlyweds uh, in our church right now. Ask, ask them, hey, would you like me to take you out to lunch? I'm sure they're all going to say yes. <laughs> because, you know, when you're, when you're young and broke and in love, you'll take a meal anywhere you, take, you can get it, right? And here this man says, hey, I married a wife. 
And therefore, I cannot come. And, I, I, and you say, well, what, what's, what is it that we can learn? Here's what we can learn. Man is predisposed. Man has a tendency or a leniency against the things of God. When someone, and if you don't believe us, just come soul winning with us. Go knock on the door and, and tell people, hey, I don't want to sell you anything. I don't want to bother you. I just want to tell you about the gracious gift of God, the free gift of salvation. You don't have to spend eternity in hell. And people say, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm, I'm cooking lunch. And I just want you to understand, what we can learn from this passage is that there is a natural inclination, there is a disposition and a tendency to move away from the things of God. That's why the Bible says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. And here's what you need to understand. Because man leans towards hell, Because man leans towards hell, hell is going to be filled. Keep your place there in Luke Luke 14. Go with me to the book of Romans. Just real quickly, if you're there in Luke, you got Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3. And this parable teaches us about God's desire. What is His desire? That heaven would be filled. But this parable also teaches us about man's disposition. What is their disposition? They lean towards hell. They lean away from the things of God. They are naturally discerned. They are spiritually discerned. They do not understand and they do not desire the things of God. Romans chapter 3 and look at verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. The Bible says this, as it is written, there is none righteous, no not one. There is none that understandeth. They're spiritually discerned. They, they will not get it. Like the Ethiopian eunuch when Philip ran up to him and he, he was reading the, the prophet Isaiah. And he said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? He says, there is none that understandeth. Notice what he says. Notice what the Bible says there. There's none that understand this. There is none that seeketh after God. And I say this a lot, and you've heard me say it before, but listen to me. When you got saved, people say, well, I I remember when I found Jesus. You didn't find anybody. He found you. The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why? Because there is none that seeketh after God. Notice verse 12. They all are gone out of the way. They all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You'll go out and knock doors today. Ask people, do you know for sure if you died today, are you on your way to heaven? Yes, I believe I'm on my way to heaven. What gives you that confidence that you're on your way to heaven? Well, I'm a pretty good person. Now look, you may be a pretty good person compared to me. And you may be a pretty good person compared to your neighbor. You may be a pretty good person compared to whoever it is that you're comparing yourself to. And by the way, the Bible says that they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. But when we compare ourselves to the standard of the Word of God, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. See, man has a disposition away from the things of God. God desires heaven to be filled. Man's disposition is to lean towards hell. Is to go to hell. Is to not seek after God. To not understand the things of God. To not uh, want or desire to be saved. Go go with me to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 27. If you open your Bible, just right in the center. You'll be in the Old Testament. If you open your Bible right in the center, you'll more than likely find the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 27. Proverbs 27. Here's what I want you to understand. If man, if the unnatural man is left to himself, 
he will go to hell. Not, not just because he's a sinner, although we understand he's a sinner. The wages of sin is death. We get that. But because he cannot, he cannot on his own seek after salvation, understand salvation, grasp salvation. Man has a tendency when they are asked, when they are asked, hey, here's a free ticket to a free meal with God in heaven. I just bought some oxen. I just got married. I, and, we, and they have excuses. Why? Because there's a disposition towards hell. And by the way, that's why hell will be filled. Proverbs 27, look at verse 20. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 27, verse 20, notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 27, and verse 20, the Bible says this. Hell and destruction, notice what the Bible says, are never full. Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. In Isaiah chapter 5, you're there in Proverbs. Go past the book of Ecclesiastes, past Song of Solomon, into the book of Isaiah. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, into the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5, look at verse number 14. Isaiah 5, 14. Remember how Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you? I would submit to you this morning that in heaven there is a building project going on. They are building. They are expanding. They are growing. Why? Because God desires. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But I would submit to you this morning that there is a building project in hell as well. There is expansion in hell as well. Isaiah 5, look at verse 14. The Bible says, Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself. And open her mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. You say, why is hell enlarging itself? Why is hell growing? Why is it opening its mouth without measure? You say, why? And listen to me. You need to understand this. Most people in this world, most people you know, most people you work with, most people that you uh, see at the grocery store, that live on the same street you do, most people in this world are on their way to hell. We, we want to believe as Americans, we want to think, well, most people in our society are Christians. No, they're not. They may think they're Christians. They may think they're religions, but their religion is not going to save them. We're not saved by, you ask most people today, you know, are you sure you're on your way to heaven? They're telling you, I'm a good person. They're telling you, I repented of my sins. They're telling you, I live a good life. They're telling you, I go to church. They're telling you, I got baptized. They're telling you, I spoke with tongues. They're telling, whatever it is they're telling you, that's not going to save them. Salvation is not work. Salvation is not religion. Salvation is, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And most people are on their way to hell. That's why Jesus said, that's why Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight gate. He said, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. He said, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I just want you to understand, this parable, if you go back to Luke 14, not only does it teach us about the desire of God, what's God's desire that heaven would be filled, not only does it tell us about the disposition of man, what is man's disposition to go to hell? But we see a third thing. I want you to notice the third thing that we can notice from this passage, and it's this. Our duty, our duty to move people from hell to heaven. See, man is inclined to go to hell, all on their own. Man is not interested in those things which are spiritual, all on their own. 
And they need somebody. They need someone to confront them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see it in this passage. But you know what? Before we go there, you're there in Luke 14. Before we go there, let's look at a couple of other passages. Go to the book of John, John chapter 5. You're there in Luke, just one book over, John chapter 5. Look at verse 24. This is very well-known verses. You know them already, but let's look at them together. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Calvinism was a lie, my friend. Calvinism teaches, well, if someone's going to get saved, they, they, if someone, you know, they, they would get saved anyway, all on their own. We don't need to go out and preach the gospel to them. No, no, no. The Bible says this in John 5 and verse 24. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. Notice, but is past is passed from death unto life. They were in death. And by the way, it's not that unbelievers will one day go to hell. The Bible says that the wrath of God abideth on them already. They're already condemned. There's already a, a, a cell in hell with their name on it. But the Bible says that our job, when we take the gospel to people, and they believe and they call upon God, hey, they're passed from death to life. Go to Acts 26. Look at verse number 18. You're there in John. Go to Acts chapter 26 and verse number 18. Acts 26 and verse number 18. Notice what the Bible says. Acts 26 and verse 18. The Bible says this, to open their eyes. To open their eyes. Don't miss this. And don't look, look at it. And to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them. Which are sanctified by faith that is in me. See, your job and my job is to turn them from darkness to light. It's to see that they are passed from death unto life. Go back to Luke 14. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 14. We not only see... The desire of God. We not only see the disposition of man, but we also see the duty of believers. The duty of believers. You say, well, what, what do we do? How, what can we do? And it's outlined for us here in this passage. What can we do to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because man left to himself leans towards hell. And man left to himself will go to hell. Luke 14, verse 21. Notice what the Bible says. So that servant came. And showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant. I want you to notice this word. In fact, let's read it together. Let's read just that one word together. Let's read it together. Go. That was so weak. Good night. I mean, that was embarrassing. Is this, am I, did I accidentally come into the Presbyterian church? Let's read it together. Go. All right, that sounded more like Baptist. So one more time. Go. Out quickly into the, notice these words, streets and lanes. Of the city. He said, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maim and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. Notice verse 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, let's read it together, go out into, notice where? Into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. If you don't mind writing in your Bible right, right there, right next to Luke chapter 14 and verse 21, or Luke chapter 14 in verse 23, I'd like you to write this word, confront, confront. He wants us to go. Notice he doesn't say, hey, wait till they come to you. 
He doesn't say, bring them into church and preach the gospel to them at church. Now listen to me. When unbelievers come to Verity Baptist Church, we do our best to preach the gospel to them. We do our best to approach them after the service and, and, and tactfully, and we don't put pressure on them, but ask them, you know, if they know they're on their way to heaven and we'd love to show them that. We do the best we can to reach people with the gospel when they come here. But the plan for evangelism is not bring them into the church house. The plan for evangelism is go. Is go. You say, go where? Go out into the streets and the lanes. Go out into the highways and the hedges. He wants us to go and confront them with the gospel. We can't wait till they come to us. We must go to them. And by the way, that's why the word go is highly associated with the Great Commission. Let's look at it. You're there in Luke 14. Go to Matthew chapter 28. It's the first book in the New Testament. You got Luke, if you're going backwards, Mark, Matthew, Matthew 28. Look at verse 19. Matthew 28 and verse 19. Matthew 28 and verse 19. Let's read the first word together. What does it say? Go. Let's read it one more time. Go, ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Go to Mark chapter 16. You're there in Matthew. One book over. Mark chapter 16. You're in Matthew 28. Just flip a few pages over. Mark 16. Look at verse 15. We've got another one of those famous Great Commission passages. The Bible says, And he said unto them, Can we read it together? It's the last time, alright? And he said unto them, Let's read it together, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel, to every creature. You say, what is the mode for evangelism? Here's the, here, here's the method. Here's the plan. It's to confront. It's to go to them, not to wait for them to come to us. Amen. So before we get too excited, before we get too, you know, thrilled with the message of salvation, here's the question I have for you. Will you go? I, I, I didn't say, will you get excited? I said, will you go? He says, go out quickly. You say, where? Into the streets and the lane. Go out into the highways and hedges. He says, you got to go. You say, what, what do we do to, to, to bring the gospel to the uh, lost and dying world? You got to confront them. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, we should be tactful and we should be kind. But we need to be confrontational. I didn't say contentious. We need to confront people with the gospel. Go back to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. You say, what do we do? Next to verse 21, you should have wrote these, this word, confront. But I'd like you to look at verse number 16. Luke chapter 14 and verse 16 says this, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, invited many. Look at verse 17. And sent his servant. If you haven't done it already, right next to that word servant, if you want to draw a little arrow to the word servant there, and you got to write this word next to it, the soul winner. The soul winner. See, the Father sent His servant. You say, who is that? That's you. That's me. He sent His servant at supper time. Now, I want you to notice, notice this. Underline these two words. To say. Notice it doesn't say that he sent his servant at supper time to build an orphanage. Now look, I'm not, I'm not, I have nothing against orphanages. I think orphanages are great. In fact, if I could find an orphanage to support, I would. The Bible says that pure religion and undefiled before God is to visit the fatherless. So, so I'm not against or orphanages. But notice he didn't say that he sent his servant at supper time to build an orphanage. Or, or orphanage. 
He didn't say that he sent a servant at supper time to build a hospital. He didn't say that he sent a servant at supper time to feed the homeless. I'm not against any of those things, but I want you to understand. The Bible says that he sent his servant at supper time. Here's what he said. He said, when you get out there, he said, go. And when you get out there, I want you to open your mouth to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. That's why the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived, he, he prayed, he gave his prayer request to the church at Ephesus, and he said, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. Why? To make known the mystery of the gospel. Listen to me. Right next to that verse, you ought to write this word, communicate. You say, how do we preach people with the gospel? Well, I know, I listened to that TV preacher, and he told me that if I just loved people, and I was just happy and kind, and I just smiled, that people would see the love of Christ in me, and that they would come and ask me, you know, uh, what must I do to be saved? Listen to me, that's not going to happen. So what happened in the Bible? Yeah, if you can, you know, survive an earthquake that frees all the prisoners and, and keep them from, you know, escaping, then maybe then maybe the prison guard will say, man, I need what you've got. But no one's going to walk up to you and say, man, I've just been watching you mowing your lawn. <laughs> Last week when you took that trash out, I just saw the love of Christ in you. I mean, you took the, I mean, everybody else takes the garbage out in such a worldly way. But when you took the garbage out, you just seemed so spiritual. Look, lifestyle evangelism doesn't work. Now, you need to have the right lifestyle to do evangelism. But lifestyle evangelism doesn't work. You say, what works? When you go out into the highways and the hedges and you confront them and then you communicate. And then you open your mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. You say, I don't know how to preach the gospel. Shame on you. I don't know what to say. Why? Do you not have the Holy Spirit of God? Do you not have the Word of God? Do you not have a church that provides training and DVD? I mean, why do you not know? Are you saved? Can you not tell someone how you got saved? I mean, is it that difficult to say? Hey, the Bible says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in, me should not, believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is it that hard to tell somebody, I was a sinner on my way to hell? And I believed on Jesus Christ and He saved me. And when he gave me salvation, it was eternal life. I mean, is that that hard? Why, Pastor, you don't understand. I just got to it's all this complicated. Why is it so complicated? If you're saved, aren't you a witness? Can't you witness? Can't you tell somebody? And you say, well, I don't know what to do. Can you go and just be a silent partner? Can you just go and let somebody else speak who knows what they're saying and learn from them? You see, you see we're, we're like the unbelievers. We just, we've got all sorts of excuses. Well, Pastor, you understand I've heard all the excuses. I can't go soul winning on Saturday. Why? Well, you know, I've got a gardening to do. Okay. Well, people die and go to hell. Go ahead. Hope you have a nice garden. Say, Pastor, are you against gardening? I'm not against gardening. I'm against not going soul winning. Say, well, I can't do it on Saturday morning. Okay, then do it Saturday afternoon. Then do it Thursday. Then do it Friday. Then do it Monday. Then do it Wednesday. I'm just wondering why you don't do it. I'm just wondering why you never go. Because the only way to reach them is to go, to confront, and to communicate. To open your mouth boldly. To make known the mystery of the gospel. He says, I'm sending you out. Now, he said, I'm going to give you the methods. But he said, I'll give you more than a method. I'll give you the message. He said, I'll tell you exactly what to say. He said, let me tell you what to say. He, said, he, he says, go out and tell people. So we see, next, next to verse 21, you should have wrote the word confront. And next to verse 17, you should have wrote the word communicate. But look at verse 21 again. 
Verse 21. Luke 14 and verse 21, the Bible says this. So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. And notice what he says. And bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. I'd like you to write next to verse 21. I could write this word. Compassion. Compassion. See, they go out and they bade many. But the ones they bade said, No, I- I'm busy. So they stood there for two hours and argued with them. Is that what it says? You know, you know, what we, you know what's the problem with most soul winners? Is we're filled with a bunch of pride is our problem. Amen. Well, I'm going to show this Jehovah's Witness off right now. I'm going to tell them which way's up. I'm going to tell them which way the 144,000 went. Hey, listen to me. You know, the Bible says that a man is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Amen. Well, we're all soul winning. We're not trying to boost our egos and, and well, let me, let me show you what's wrong. Hey, you know what we're looking for? We're looking for people that are open to the gospel. If they're not interested, then move on. By the way, that's why at Verity Baptist Church, and I better never hear of our soul winners doing this, we don't just go around and force people with the gospel. We ask permission. If I could show you how you could know for sure, would you be interested? No, well, Pastor, I didn't do it. I just put my foot in the door, and I just start preaching, and I make them call the cops before I leave. Please don't go soul winning here. You say, well, why would you ask permission? Because if they're not interested, we don't want to waste our time. And there's many people out there that aren't rude, and they're going to sit there and listen, and they might even pray a prayer, but they didn't get saved, my friend. Prayer, praying a prayer with someone who forces you to pray is not salvation. You say, well, the Bible says to confess with your mouth. Yeah, but also to believe in your heart. And if they're not willing, if they're not willing, then don't waste your time. You say, well, what do I do? Go find someone who's interested. And you know who that is? Usually it's the ones that are poor and maimed and hauled. And blind? You say physically? It could be physically. It could be spiritually. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Notice what Jesus We're right there. You're in Luke. Just go to, go to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 36. You say, what, what do we do? You know, we reach out to people that are interested, and usually it's people that are down and out. You say, Pastor, and listen to me very carefully. We have focused at Verity Baptist Church to try to preach the gospel to everyone especially those in need. And we focus on those in need. We run a van that will go out and pick people up for church that you say they don't have a vehicle, they don't have a ride, we will, we will give them a ride. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you, say, you know, we will help people out financially. You say, why would you do all those things? Because we are focused on those who are most receptive and usually it's those that are down and out. That's why Jesus said that it's harder uh, for, for, a, for, for a camel to go. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because rich people can't be saved? No, because usually rich people are filled with pride. Because they think they got it all figured out. Because they don't want to hear it. Matthew 9 and verse 36 says this, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Why was he moved with compassion on them? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. You say, what do you focus on at Verity Baptist Church? We focus on the poor. We focus on those that can't do for us. 
We focus on those that just need help. You say, well, pastor, if you've got a mindset like that, you know, you're, you're never going to run a successful church. You know, it's interesting because since the beginning of Verity Baptist Church, we have focused on those that need help and those that can't bless us and those that can't help us. And in the last vision offering last week, we brought in $60,000. I wonder how that happened. Yeah. Say, so how did that happen? You know what I've noticed? When we just focus on the poor, God takes care of the rest. So well, you, you, you reach out to the poor. I used to, go to church. I used to go to church with this guy. I could not stand this guy. I, I mean, I, this guy. And this guy said, I only want to go so many in the rich neighborhoods. He, like, would refuse to go to poor neighborhoods. So I would refuse to go with him, you know. And he's, he's like, we got like, rich people. They're going to pay the bills. You're an idiot. You know what? We reach people that are receptive when we let God take care of the bills. We reach people that want to hear it, and we let God take care of the rest. And you say, well, what if you don't bring in next year the big vision offering? Then we just go meet under a a tree somewhere, and we preach the gospel, and we get people saved. Last time I checked, it didn't cost anything to go knock on the door. Last time I checked, it didn't cost anything to get you a King James Bible and preach the word of God and and confront people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto the disciples, verse 37, the harvest truly is plenteous. See, when you start looking at the needs of others, you know what you start realizing? There's a lot of needy people. The harvest truly is plenteous. And here's the problem. But the laborers are few. Say, Pastor, we just had 73 soul winners out this week. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I praise God for it, but it's not enough. It's not enough. The laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Go to Mark chapter 2. Look at verse 17. You're there in Matthew. Next book over. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. Notice who Jesus focused on. And by the way, don't, don't, ever, don't ever look down on somebody. They come in at Verity Baptist Church and say, well, they're not dressed very nice. Shame on you. You ought to have compassion. Well, I just don't, I don't think they're, they're from that side of town. What, the side of town I live in? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Mark 2, 17, when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, next to verse 21, you got to write this word. In Luke 14, verse 21, you got to write this word. Compassion. But let me give you one more. Luke 14. Look at verse 23. Luke 14 and verse 23. Luke chapter 14, verse 23. Notice what the Bible says. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and... I want you to notice this word. Underline this word. Compel. Compel them to come in. That my house may be filled. Right, right next to verse 23, I'd like you to write this word. Compel. Compel. You say, what, what is that about? See, it's not just enough to go with compassion. But we have to go with a burden. There's a sense of urgency. When I was in the Air Force, when I was in boot camp, they would you know, yell at you and tell you to do something, and you start doing it, and they would yell at you, with a sense of urgency, you know. Do it like, like the house is on fire. You know, do it like, there's, like, like people's lives depend on it. Why? Because when you get deployed, sometimes people's lives depend on it. How quickly you can get that vehicle refueled or how quickly you can get that, you know, uh, maintenance done or whatever it is. And they would say, hey, do it with some urgency. Sometimes I want to tell someone, hey, why don't you do it with some urgency? 
Why don't you show up with some urgency? He says, compel them to come in. That's why you know the Jehovah's Witnesses don't have the truth. You know why? Just watch them when they're out sowing. They're like this. I mean, there's no, have you ever noticed so, uh, Jehovah's Witness out sowing? <coughs> they got to put in their 59 minutes and 59 seconds. And they don't really care how many doors they knock because they don't got the truth anyway. Listen to me, you and I have the truth. And I'm not saying go running up to doors, okay? Don't act like a kid. All right, make sure you represent the church well. But, but, I'm, but I'm saying, do it with some urgency. We don't force people. We don't pressure people. We don't, we don't try to get people. Just pray this prayer anyway. No, but you know what? We ought to compel them. We ought to have some urge. We ought to try to constrain them. The love of Christ constraineth. The Bible says, Paul was told when he preached the gospel, he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Because when he went, he, he was compelling. He had some urgency about him. He, he was trying to convince people about the truth. Go to Jude. Jude, verse 22. Jude 22, last place we'll look at this morning. Jude 22. You got the book of Revelation? One book over, Jude. Jude, there's only one chapter. Look at verse 22. Jude one twenty two. Remember, we saw that Jesus was moved with compassion on them. Jude one twenty two says this, and of some have compassion, making a difference. I mean, let me just ask you: Who do you have compassion over? Who's dying and going to hell that you could give the gospel to, that you could show some compassion to? And of some have compassion, making a difference. But notice, we also see this idea of compelling. Verse twenty three, and others save with fear, fear. Pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garments part of the flesh. Like we said, the wrath of God already abides on them. They're already in trouble. We're pulling them out of that fire. Say, how do we we reach people? Here's how we do it. You confront. You go. You make a time. You say, this is my time. This is when I go. This is when I will go. You say, well, well, I'm just going to talk to my, my, my friends. And look, you ought to talk to your friends. I'm going to talk to my family, and you ought to talk to your family. But you know, he said go into the highways and hedges. He said to go out into the streets and the lanes. He said go find people you don't even know and confront them and communicate. I don't know how. Learn how. In fact, we'd love to teach you how. We'd love to show you how to present the gospel. We'll give you the DVDs. We'll do the live training. We will partner you with someone who knows what they're doing. And you can watch them. And you can go as long as you'd like. Months, if you'd like, with someone who knows what they're doing. And watch them. And ask them questions. And learn from them. We will give you. We're not just going to throw you to the wolves. But listen to me. Why don't you learn to communicate? Why don't you have some compassion? Why don't you learn to compel? Why don't you go? See, in this parable, we see the desire of God. What's his desire? To fill heaven. We see the disposition of man. What's their disposition? They lean towards hell. And we see the duty of believers. What's their duty? To turn them from darkness to light. To pass them from hell to heaven. Because if we don't confront, if we don't confront, if we don't go, man left to himself will lean towards hell. It's just natural. So why does Verity Baptist Church exist? That all the earth may know? Amen. That we may preach the God. You say, why would you raise money to send missionaries off to the Philippines and to Africa? And to, why would you go to Mexico? And why are you, why are you planning on, on doing... Why, why would you do that? Here's why. Because someone has to go and confront and communicate and compel. 
Someone has to go with compassion. So why do we exist? To go. To fulfill the Great Commission. To teach all nations, to baptize them, to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And I want to encourage you to say, but we say, Pastor, how, you know, I, I, I've forgotten about the urgency, or I've, I don't know where to start. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked, because guess what we have this week? We have a soul-winning push. Just for you. This Saturday at 10 a.m. You say, well, what, what, do I, what do I do? Just show up. Just go. Just put in your calendar, put it on your phone, set the alarm, tell your wife, tell whoever you need to tell, and say, I'm going to go. What are you going to do? I, I don't know. Pastor said he'll partner with something. We will take care of you. But we need you to go. We need you to go. Why? Because it's our duty. Because there are people out there, do you realize there are people out there that would get saved if someone brought them the gospel? But if left to themselves, they will lean towards hell. We have this Easter service coming up. This is a great opportunity to be able to reach people. You've got friends and you've got family members. This is a great opportunity. You say, well, I don't, I don't know how to, how to talk to them. Okay, then just bring, bring them. Like I told you, we, we've got soul winners set aside specifically to find your guests and give them the gospel. If they want, we're not pressuring them. We're not bothering them. We're just saying, hey, here's an option for you. If you'd like to know how to be on your way to heaven, we'd love to show you. We've got to do something that all the earth may know. Would you help us? Would you decide, would you say, Pastor, I'll be there Saturday morning, April 15, 10 a.m., get extra donuts, I'll be there. You say, why? So we can confront, so we can communicate, so we can have compassion, so we can compel people with the gospel of Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these passages in Scripture. Lord, I pray for those of us that maybe used to go soul winning and have kind of died out. Help us to remember there's still people dying and going to hell. There's still people all over this community. There's people all over the Paso Heights. There's people all over Natomas that need the gospel. Lord, I pray for a soul winner who's The Holy Spirit's been working in their hearts and they know they've got to go and they know that they should go, but they're scared or they're timid. Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength they need, Lord, the resolve they need to decide, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. And Father, help us never to forget that the reason we are on this earth is to continue the ministry that you started to seek and to save that which was lost. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen.